Over the last 25 episodes, you've heard his voice. But who is the ghostropologist? Uh, I am. Today, on a very special ghostropology supplemental episode, I will be asking the hard-hitting questions. The questions that have answers. The questions that I have that maybe you have as well for the ghostropologist. I'm world-famous podcast producer, my good lady wife. I'm sorry, <laughs> your good lady wife. And I'm, here to... <laughs> and I'm here today to talk to the ghostropologist in my very important PBS public radio voice. Do you like my public radio voice, Matthew? You sound like an Alexa to Kazanex. <laughs> The weather in Fresno today is all smoke all the time. Stay inside so that you can breathe. Okay. Move to California, they said. It'll be all <laughs> beaches and sunshine, they said. Yes. Okay. So to, today I get to interview you, which is kind of neat because normally on your show you're talking or you're interviewing other people. But today I, your good lady wife and podcast producer, get to interview you. So this is fun. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how you got the idea for this podcast? I've loved ghost stories since I was a kid. I've always been fascinated by them. And studying anthropology in college and then grad school, I really became aware of just how much ghost stories were telling us about the way we view the world about ourselves. And I found that endlessly fascinating. Uh, so for a long time, I kept a blog that uh, is still up and I still mine it to get material for episodes of this podcast, but it uh, had a similar format to this podcast. It would give the story and then would give an analysis of the story. As you were working on your podcast, Pages and Popcorn, uh, you and I talked quite a bit about the fact that I'd had an interest in doing a podcast for a while. My original idea was to do a podcast on California history, you know, sidestepping the stuff that everybody covers, you know, no Hollywood stuff, no Silicon Valley stuff, you know, but getting into other aspects. That would take a lot of time and a lot of library research that I don't have time for, unfortunately, because I work a lot. <laughs> so uh, the uh, ghost story podcast seemed like a good fallback and it's been a lot of fun to do and I've really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's the origin. It was plan B, but it's ended up being a really enjoyable plan B. So what kind of podcast do you listen to? What was your experience with podcasts in general before starting your own? Well, I started listening to podcasts in the relatively early days of podcasts around 2006. And prior to that, I've liked audio for a very long time. I listened to um, public radio since I was a teenager. I've listened to streaming audio since the 90s. I used to listen to streaming audio a lot when I was uh, in grad school doing lab work that required my hands and my eyes, but, you know, didn't require my brain to be fully engaged. A lot of archaeological laboratory work that I used to do, you had to keep your eyes open, you had to keep your hands moving, but it really was just sorting, you know, there's a stone tool, that's just a rock, that's a piece of bone, that's another rock. 
I started listening to podcasts shortly after they became known as podcasts, actually. Uh, so around 2006, and uh, I bought my first iPod actually in 2007 for uh, listening to while I was driving. Anyway, stuff I would listen to was primarily history, Mike Duncan, Dan Carlin, Bruce uh, Carlson, people like that. I tried listening to a lot of ghost story podcasts. Some of them were okay. Uh, the only one that I still listen to is one called Anything Ghost by a guy named Lex Wall, which I quite enjoy. For a long time, I listened to Hometown Tales, which included ghost stories, but was general urban legends and just kind of unique things about towns. Listen to a lot of radio documentaries, uh, especially ones put out by the BBC. So yeah, I have a pretty wide range of things that I listen to, but I do tend to focus on history and a few of my specific hobbies. So besides uh, ghost stories and making this podcast, what are some of your hobbies? Well, I am an amateur level woodworker. I make some furniture and uh, I enjoy doing that. I play guitar. I am the rhythm guitarist for kind of a backyard band that gets together. We don't perform. We just get together and play music. I am a tremendous nerd. So role-playing games are a uh, big hobby of mine. And that's actually another podcast I listen to. It's called Fear the Boot, which is about role-playing games. Those are what take up most of my leisure time, such as it is. Cool. Well, speaking of your podcast that you've now done 25 episodes, including a crossover episode with my podcast, any favorite episodes that you've done over the last 25 episodes or the last year as we're looking, I realized today as we're recording, which won't be released for a little bit, but today on Facebook, we teased the coming of ghost anthropology with a little video of you, the, oh, yeah. the black and white <laughs> film noir type thing that I'll have to post. But yeah, so, but it's, so it's been kind of, it's been an exciting year and I'm wondering if there's any highs and maybe a low too, but specifically highs from the last year of episodes. Well, I, I can tell you the one that I think I most enjoyed doing was actually the interview with uh, Dr. Michelle Hanks. I don't know how much fun it was for people to listen to, but, you know, it was nice to talk to another anthropologist about ghost stories. So, you know, I enjoyed doing it. Of the more standard episodes, I think my favorite is probably, well, episode one has to do with a ghost story that really got to me when I was a kid, which is about 50 Berkeley Square in London. So that's a high point. The Dark Watchers, which was episode 16, and that is based in Monterey and Santa Barbara counties, places that I used to spend quite a bit of time. So uh, yeah, that was a fun store. That was a fun one as well. I also really enjoyed talking with James Tyner about Fatal Frame and the uh, kind of urban legend ghost story that's gotten built up around the setting for that game, Amuro Mansion, because I think it's a fascinating case where, it, from what I can tell, people in the U.S., have a ghost story about Japan that doesn't seem to necessarily be shared by people in Japan who know that the story was made up for the game. So I found that pretty interesting. I've got a little bit of uh, questions from the audience, uh, some mail that came in. So if you're up for answering a couple of questions from our listeners. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so do you like horror movies? and horror television shows 
or just the stories that you read in books? I enjoy some horror movies and some horror television shows. I'm I'm picky. Stuff that relies on jump scares or gore doesn't tend to do it for me. I can enjoy those, but they're not going to stick with me. Things that really build on atmosphere, I tend to enjoy quite a lot. Uh, one of my favorite movies, actually, is an early 80s movie called The Changeling, which is about a haunted house, stars George C. Scott, and I just think it's an excellent horror movie and a really excellent movie overall. Oddly, I found I enjoy a lot of horror podcasts, you know, fictional stories, horror stories, because without the visual, a lot of the time the uh, people producing them really do have to rely on the atmosphere. You know, a personal favorite is one that recently ended called the Magnus Archives, which weirdly has a format very similar to Ghost Topology. But I will point out that my podcast is based on the format of my blog, which existed before the Magnus Archives. So, Aha. Okay. Let's see here. Another question from a fan. You've talked about your day job being in archaeology. Can you tell us what a typical day is in your life? And a related question is, what was your emphasis of study for archaeology? Sure. You know, you get those lists every year of the most useless majors and anthropology is usually at or near the top of the list. And they always say, because the only thing you can do with this degree is teach, which is completely untrue. The last time anybody actually tried to crunch the numbers, it was something like over 80% of all people with anthropology degrees did what was called cultural resource management, which is what I work in, which is where you help your client or your employer stay in compliance with historic preservation laws, Native American consultation rules from agencies, things of that sort. When I was a contractor, I did a lot more active archaeological work. So a typical day would involve me working on a project, which uh, if it was a field project might mean I'm going out and digging holes or more often in the field, I was going out and doing uh, what's called a survey, which is where you're going and looking for sites. In the Western U.S., that's pedestrian survey where you usually will see the sites on the surface, but in other parts of the U.S. and other parts of the world, you may end up having to dig holes to do survey as well. If I wasn't doing a project in the field, then I would have been in the office writing the report on the project, or I would have been writing a proposal to bid on another project to try to get more work. Nowadays, I work for a company that gets real fussy when you say its name in anything that goes online. So I won't, you know, like a lot of large companies, they're just very concerned about their public image. So anyway, it's large infrastructure projects though. So what I do for them is I help them figure out what they will need in order to obtain permits. I oversee the archeological contractors that we hire to go out and do the surveys, the excavations, things of that sort. I'm the point of contact for both the agency archaeologists, so the Forest Service archaeologists, National Parks archaeologists, they talk to me. And I'm also the point of contact for the Native American community. So if they have questions or concerns about anything that my employer's doing, they know that they can call me and I'll try to help them out. Okay. Another question. How often do people ask you questions about dinosaurs, which you are totally, totally not qualified to answer? So... If you're listening and you're thinking, oh, archaeologists, they deal with dinosaurs. No, we don't. That's paleontologists. There is no relation. I actually don't get asked about dinosaurs that often in my day-to-day life, you know, outside of work, which you know may mean I need to get out more often. But 
you know, I did, I do occasionally get, have people want to talk to me about dinosaurs or, you know, other prehistoric animals that predate humans. Archaeology is a form of anthropology. We are focused on humans. Paleontology actually is a very different discipline at work because a lot of people don't understand the difference between archaeology and paleontology. If there is an agency we're working with that requires any sort of paleontological analysis in order to get a permit, people expect me to do it. In fact, just this week, I was having to explain to somebody that under state law, I am not qualified to be a paleontologist. So no, I cannot do the paleontological analysis for them. They have to hire someone. Okay, great. We got this question a lot, actually. Is there any tidbit or information that didn't quite fit into an episode or was not quite the right tone for one of the stories, something that got left out? Uh, Every episode has that, but I think my favorite one, 50 Berkeley Square again. So the building that is allegedly the haunted house was owned for quite some time, uh, I think for 70 some odd years by a bookseller called Mags Brothers Limited. Fun fact about Mags Brothers Limited, in 1916, they bought the penis of Napoleon Bonaparte from one of his descendants. Why somebody cut Napoleon's penis off, I don't know. I mean, is can they, how would you even prove, was it like in a jar of formaldehyde? That's I, so disturbing. I think it would have to be apparently one of the descendants of the priest who had given the last rites to napoleon well the the priest apparently cut his penis off and preserved it then it just kind of got passed down in the family until eventually one of the members sold it to mags brothers limited so it didn't fit the episode at all i don't know that it would fit any of my episodes but there you go napoleon's penis Holy crap, man, that's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, well. It, it, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you left that out. You know, the funny thing is, if you think about uh, the way that a lot of people view Napoleon, it's not too far off from the way that a lot of people view saints. And there is a long tradition in European Christianity of preserving parts of saints and holding on to them in uh, <laughs> various different ways. So as strange as this sounds, it actually kind of fits with a lot of European tradition. I feel like there's got to be a haunted dick in a box story, you know, based on this, but maybe, maybe that's just me and my juvenile brain. As far as I can tell, there are no ghost stories associated with Napoleon's penis. (laughs) And there is a statement I never thought I would have to make. (laughs) This is the quality content that people log in for. I'm pretty sure right here. Oh, I'm sure it is. (laughs) Okay. I'm almost afraid to ask if there was any other extras that didn't make it in or, or maybe we should just stop there because I don't know how you would top that. Well, I don't think you can top it. I do know that uh, one of the things that has happened frequently is not that there's extras I have to leave out. Although again, every episode has a little bit of that, but usually not too terribly much, but I will find things out after the fact. Literally, the day that the episode that featured Robert Johnson dropped, I was listening to another podcast and they had a person being interviewed about that story. 
And he had a lot to say about the uh, evolution of Southern folk magic and especially Southern black folk magic and how it descended from religion in Africa and Haiti that actually put the story of making a deal at the crossroads into a very different light. So at some point, I think I'm going to have to do a follow-up episode. The other thing is in the intro to that episode, I talked about how this story of the crossroads touched on a lot of aspects of the history of race in the U.S., and it certainly does. But then I didn't actually discuss any of that in the episode, but there's a lot to say there. And I think that it does get into you know, why, for example, the song Crossroads even exists. It's probably not about making a deal with the devil. It's probably about sundown towns and not wanting to get caught in one. There's going to need to be a follow-up Robert Johnson episode, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you've, you've done 25 episodes. You've done some interview episodes, a lot of, a lot of stories, and uh, you're on your little bit of a hiatus sabbatical right now. You will be coming back at the end of October with another crossover episode and then more episodes in on the docket. Um, what can audiences expect? What are we going to get? More interviews, more stories, more of the same? Well, I would like to do a lot more kind of co-hosted episodes like I did with uh, James Tyner and Dave Hasbrook. I think that'd be fantastic. I don't want to turn this into an interview show, but I would like to have additional interview episodes, much like I did with uh, Dr. Hanks when I can find people who are willing to talk to me. And I've got a few folks I'm trying to get a hold of. Coming up, as you say, we're going to have a crossover episode that won't exactly be a ghost story, but it will be very ghost story adjacent in some interesting ways. I've also written a script for an episode about a old West ghost town in the Mojave Desert that I'm really looking forward to uh, presenting. I'm working on one of ghosts of Roman soldiers cited throughout uh, England. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting. I've also recorded with Albi Robles, who is the host of the podcast called Scare Me, which if you're interested in it, you have to look it up as Scare Me Podcast because there is a podcast just called Scare Me, which has one episode from however long ago. And apparently they never did a follow-up. But he and I talked about some ghost stories, including a personal experience of his in Mexico. I think that's going to be good. So yeah, right off the bat, we've got six or seven episodes worth of material. And I'm constantly reading up on both ghost stories, but also a lot of academic work revolving around belief in ghosts, belief in the supernatural, how stories are transmitted. So my goal is that both I continue bringing you new episodes, but also the analysis of the stories in those episodes gets better. So in an earlier episode, you talked about the family ghost story of your grandfather walking around in, in your old family mm -hmm. home. And I was wondering if you have other examples of you yourself having experienced something quote unquote supernatural, or if not, maybe your favorite scary story, maybe that's more either more personal or, you know, connected to you in some way. I have a few stories about things that I've experienced. I don't think that any of them were actually supernatural. I think all of them are pretty easy to explain, but that doesn't change the fact that they were pretty creepy when they were occurring. And I will be talking about those in future episodes. So I'll save that for then. I don't think any of them are particularly interesting in of themselves, but I think they illustrate some 
interesting points about how we think about uh, the supernatural. You want to give us just a, a couple of words, a teaser about an upcoming story? Uh, well, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I can tell you that at some point, the story of the time that I was pretty sure I heard a baby crying on a uh, plateau overlooking the ocean near Santa Barbara is going to come up around midnight on a windy night. <laughs> okay. Uh, my favorite scary story is actually featured in episode seven, which is the woman on Highway 152 who appears in the, your car, screams, and then vanishes. I just have always liked how economical that story is. It's short, it's to the point, doesn't overstay its welcome, and almost everybody I've told it to has been creeped out by it. Um, yeah, as somebody who you told that story to as we drove down a dark highway in the middle of the night, I, I agree. It was it, it is quite scary, that is for sure. In fact, I think I told that to you when we were on Highway 152. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, do you have anything else that you want to say? Anything that I might have uh, missed? You know, I think the main thing I would say is I'm hoping that as the show gains more listeners, and it does seem to steadily be gaining more listeners, I would like it to be a little more interactive. So if anybody has a story or, you know, has something that they'd like me to look into, by all means, contact me. You know, we've got the email, ghostthropology at gmail.com. Yeah, get a hold of me. Let me know what it is. And if there's enough meat to it that I can actually write an episode around it or feature it in an episode with other stories, I'll be happy to do that. That's right. Again, that email address is ghostthropology at gmail.com. You can also reach us. Uh, ghostthropology is on Facebook and KMMA Media is on Instagram. Yeah, so there's a couple different ways that you can reach out. And if you're interested in supporting the show, there's a patron for the show, as well as a buy a coffee option. Lots of ways, but probably the best way, the most supportive and helpful way is to like and share and tell your friends to listen. As Kalia said, we'll have the um, crossover episode coming and then we'll have some additional episodes following that. We're on hiatus, but coming back and have already prepared for the return. So very cool.